We're talking these days about how that we're lured. We've uh, talked about how that we can be lured by quick fixes and kind of a, take a duct tape kind of approach to problems and issues rather than living a disciplined life. And we've talked about how that we're uh, lured to keep score and to hold grudges against each other rather than practice forgiveness. And today we're going to be talking about how that we're lured by shiny things. Now, the altar table today is full of shiny things. If you want to have a look at that, it, it's really kind of incredible, incredible, all the things that kind of fill our world with glitter and attraction. Uh, strobe lights are kind of filling the air. We did a debate in our staff about who would do their best imitation of John Travolta, and uh, everyone was chicken and decided not to. Any takers this morning? Okay, no, I guess not. Um, but shiny things, shiny things. Um, we're going to talk today in particular about how Samson and the Philistines and Delilah were captivated by uh, the dark side of shiny things. And as we do that, we're going to recognize that this is something that God's people human beings down through the ages have always struggled with. That there's always a dark side to things that glitter and shine at us. And without God's help, uh, without God's spirit, uh, we, we fall vulnerable. And we can do a lot of damage to ourselves and other people. So this is one of those kind of tragic stories in Scripture that we can learn a lot from as we, we go there today. Let's look at uh, Judges uh, chapter 16. Uh, this is a story of Samson and Delilah, and we read verse 4 that says, after this, he fell in love. Now, before we go on, let me just say there's nothing wrong with falling in love, but Samson fell in love an awful lot. He fell in love with his first wife, who was a Philistine, they were unequally yoked. They had nothing in common. They were of different faith, a different culture. Uh, they, they were just in love. And before this story, uh, Samson spent a night with a prostitute. So he was someone that uh, could do the one-night stands. And so when we read he fell in love, please know it, it's talking about, yeah, that gratification part, that sense of, uh, of uh, being lured, but not really having a clue, really, about what love is. So after he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, uh, whose name was Delilah, the lords of the Philistines. Now, remember, the Philistines are the enemy. They're the opponents of Samson. They've been fighting and doing battle forever. And they came to her, they came to Delilah, and they said, coax him and find out what makes his strength so great and how we may overpower him so that we may find him in order to subdue him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, do you remember what was the strength, how Samson got his strength? Through his long hair, right? And so... Um, Samson's always been able to overcome his enemy because of the strength of his hair. The strength of the Lord is with him. 
This is a story that reminds us, this verse, of how when we have power, we often use that power to manipulate people. Or we can use that power to bribe people. And the Philistines are bribing Delilah with money. And Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes your strength so great and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you. Now in these three verses alone, we see how that money and sex and power can create this, this web that draws us in, that, that sucks us into destructive relationships and events. So today, what I want us to do is talk about the dark side of these three things. The dark side. And the first thing is the dark side of sex. If there's one book in all of human literature that has a high value of human sexuality, it's the scriptures. It's the scriptures that tells us that the love of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, is the closest thing we got. It's the closest thing on this earth that we got that shows us the love between Christ and the church. That's a pretty high elevation, isn't it? It's the scriptures that tells us that human sexuality is given as a sacred trust to us. That it's not just for procreation. It is for pleasure, but it's not just for pleasure. But it is a bond. It is a glue that, that unites two people. Think about this. Human beings, we're not like the animals. When sexual intercourse occurs between two human beings, we have the ability to look into each other's eyes, each other's faces. There's something holy and sacred about that. Do you know the biblical word in the Old Testament for sexual intercourse is to know? It means to know. When you read it in the Bible and you read, okay, this person knew this person, it's saying, yes, they had sexual relations, but it's saying something deeper. There's something intimate. There's something sacred. There's something wonderful. There's, there's something that, that is, is, is an incredible union that is strengthening and gluing that relationship together. And so this is what makes the dark side of sexuality so tragic. Because it distorts, it, it takes away from. Whenever there's abuse, whenever there's exploitation, whenever there's power games involved in the sexual relationships, how destructive and how damaging that can be. And then power. Power is very much related to this. You know, there's, there's something that's... Uh, very off-putting when you see a person in a position of power that abuses and misuses that power. Whether it's a pastor or a priest, whether she or he uses their power of position to manipulate people, 
or particularly to take physical advantage of someone. Or when a political person, whether it's a, an administration of a president or a governor, that uses this political power uh, to go against political opponents, or whether it's a supervisor at work who doesn't genuinely care about his or her employees and the way in which we treat people with a sense of dignity and respect. We just use people. Something awful about that. I love the words of Sherry McAdam when she says that uh, the only cure for the love of power is the power of love. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians 13 really speaks to this in terms of how that uh, love must be the dominant force of any spiritual power or any power in this world. And, and I love the words of Paul when he says that if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, in other words, if I have the spiritual gift of tongues, but if I don't have love, if I get puffed up spiritually about that stuff, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or if I have the prophetic powers, if I can preach and I can teach and I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have this faith that can move a mountain, but if I don't have love, nothing. If I give away all my possessions, so if I, if I, give, if I have charity, or if I want to give in a proudful kind of a way, if I hand my body over, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. It's a scripture's wonderful way of reminding us that power must be accompanied by love. But you see where there is not love and there is pride. Well, pride and power are a terrible combination. Uh, that duo of pride and power can be very destructive. Well, and so it is with money. Now, money, like sex and power, can do great things. There's nothing inherently wrong with money or power, and certainly not with sex. But these things can be so easily distorted we recognize that there's an alluring power of money. And when wealth increases, there's a real tendency for us to set our hearts on that stuff. That's why the scriptures just continuously tell us that as your money increases, don't set your heart on it. Or it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Or be content with what you have. Or use what you have. And so how do we counteract the effect that, that money can have in our life. How can we use our money not to get things and hurt people in the process? How can we use our money, use our things to really bless people? See the difference? I love what Andy Stanley does with with this understanding of generosity because I think generosity truly helps us to understand that it counteracts the tendency of greed has in our life. Generosity is one of those things that we can practice along with saving our money. 
it takes spiritual maturity, friends, to manage money. It takes spiritual maturity to earn money. And I really think our culture needs to recapture the dignity and the goodness of earning money through good labor and work where everybody benefits from it. I think that is a spiritual activity. And I think saving money, learning to live beneath our means, not overextending ourselves, that, that, that is a spiritual discipline. But the most important discipline of all is giving money. You know, Jesus said that this is a private devotion. This is one of those things that we privately do out of our love for God. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do, that if you are not someone that consistently practices giving, to make that a priority where you give first, you save second, and you live on the rest, and that you choose a percentage of giving as a disciplined practice, and you make that a progressive way in your life. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that money, sex, and power have a way of interlooping. And when we are subject to the powerful effects and the distortion in one area of our life, it tends to affect all our life. And we have to take hold of this. So how do we be overcome this? How do we overcome a darkness that perhaps has gripped us or still is gripping us in terms of our life? Maybe we've been lured by money or sex or power or a lot of other things that fall into those categories. What do you do about that? Well, you know what? I think one of the key things we can do is, is not to be so mousy. I think we Christians are just too mousy. Let me talk about that a little bit. One of the things that really attracted to me, attracted me to Susan, was that she isn't mousy. If you know my wife, there's nothing mousy about her. She has an opinion. She has thought. She's intelligent. She has a spine. Um, I always loved that and love that about her. Although sometimes it can create some interesting conversations because I'm not exactly milk toast myself. But don't you want to be equally yoked to somebody and not unequally yoked? Isn't that kind of part of the problem? If one spouse is over another spouse like this, parental kind of thing, or if you're not equal intellectually or spiritually, it creates some problem, creates some struggles. Well, I've always been blessed to be equally yoked with a dynamic woman of faith and strength. As we were dating, though, Susan scared me in one way. She loved German shepherds. She insisted that we would have a German shepherds throughout our married life. I told her, I don't know. I grew up with collies, German shepherds. I'm a little timid about German shepherds. I was afraid she might sig them on me or something if I got out of line. But she insisted we would have German shepherds. She had a parrot. I said, well, the parrot's got to go. I won that battle, but that's a different story. 
But we, so we have, we've always had German Shepherds. Right now we have two dogs. We have Eva, our German Shepherd. She's really the prize. She's the best of the seven that we've had. And we have Yachty, our little Sheltie, whose full name is Yadier Molina Cassidy. It really is his full name. Now, Yachty is basically totally worthless, uh, just to be honest. Uh, kind of, sort of. I'm going to get in trouble on that one. <sighs> I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, but Eva, oh man, she's a prize. And the dog before Eva was almost just as good. His name was Voris. And when Voris was just a puppy, he jumped one time into our van, the back of our van. Now, he's not just a little puppy, he's a big puppy. And I say to Voris, get out of the van. And he looks at me and he growls at me, like whose army is going to make me do this? I stare him down and there's something that rises up inside of me and I reach in and I grab Voris by the collar and I jerk him out of the van. I am literally scared to death after the fact. <laughs> but Voris and I became friends that day. We, were, we became the best of buddies. Um, his ashes are still with us, if you know that kind of thing. Um, I think he demonstrates for us that incident, what, what we got to do. You know, if we're overcome by the dark side, if, there's, if that power has overcome us, if it's money, if it's sexuality, if it's something that has gripped us and we can't get a hold of it, I think there's something about us that's got to rise up. I think we Christians are too mousy. And I think we've got to, to choose to say enough already. And we've got to take that thing by the neck and yank it out of our life. And we have that choice. And it's not willpower alone but it's the power of the Lord. You know, the scripture tells us that the spirit that God gives us is not a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. God gives us that spirit. Claim that authority. Let it rise up in you and take charge of whatever it is that's trying to stare you down. You know, there's something very tragic in this story about Samson. It, it says in the scripture, did you notice that after his hair was cut, Samson, it says this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. But it also says this, but the hair of his head began to grow after he had been shaved. Interesting, isn't it? Samson didn't know that the Lord had left him. That can be descriptive of you and me. We can just kind of nibble away like a lost sheep. Uh, we just kind of get away from God. And then suddenly we find ourselves doing something really stupid something out of character, something that's not true to ourself, something we can't believe we're falling into. It's like we wake up because we didn't know that the Lord had left us. But the beautiful thing about that second verse is this. The second verse says, 
once Samson is down and out, once his, he's just, he's had his eyes gouged out and he's left to be in a prison, when he, when he thinks that all is lost, when he's done for, God's not done because his hair starts growing and the strength of the Lord begins to grow once again in this life. And that's really the good news for all of us, isn't it? That God's strength, that God's power, when we think we're done for, can still take hold and grow back in our life. In England and in Scotland, uh, when you board the train, they have the statement, mind the gap. What do they mean by that? Well, they're referring to that small gap between the platform and the train. Watch your step. Don't, don't fall into that gap. You know, every one of us in this room have to watch it. None of us get to that level of faith and spirituality where we can just put things on automatic pilot. We have to mind the gap. We have to pay attention. And as we live in this world, and we are living in this world, we have to recognize that God is the one that gives us the power, the love, the strength to live above the destructive forces that are so much a reality in our life. So as the band comes and we prepare for one more worship song, I'd like for us to just have a few moments of silence and a prayer where uh, we just allow God's spirit to uh, come and minister to us this morning. I'm going to offer a prayer, then we'll have a little bit of silence, then we'll go into our last worship. Come Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister to us, and we thank you so much, God, that your spirit is not a spirit of timidity or fear, so we don't have to live in fear. We also thank you, God, that your spirit is of love and power and a sound mind. So we're thankful we don't have to live in shame. But we do bring to you our weakness, our vulnerability. We bring to you those areas in our life that may have too much of a grip on us, too much of a hold on us, whether it's in the area of wealth or whether it's in the area of powerful positions, whether it's in the area of sexuality that's been distorted and abused. So we pray for you to come and to bless us. Rise up in, inside of us your spirit. Help us to take authority over these things and help us to live in the powerful freedom and love that you give us minister to our hearts this morning.